I ran across something the other day I thought was a little humorous, but it was might help some of you. It was the serenity prayer. But it was unlike any serenity prayer I had ever read before. It said, God grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked anyway. The good fortune to run into those that I do. And the eyesight to be able to tell the difference. <laughs> well, I don't know if that'll help you tonight, but I'm glad you're here. You're, you're a good sight to see. If you have your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse number 42. Reading down through verse number 47. Continuing our Our journey into the book of Acts. Amen. We're going to take a moment when we get through and pray over our plans again. I talked with my brother right before service and, uh, the, the engineer that he had spoken with has done all of his preliminary. He said he had a couple of very minor things, questions, but he had to go to engineering and it had to go to traffic. Before they could sign off, so they should, he said we should know for sure by Friday. So we're going to wait for another Friday. One of these days, it's going to happen. I believe this Friday could be that day. Amen. Praise God. So let's remember that when when you're praying that God would give us favor. Let's read from the Word of God, Acts chapter two, verse number forty-two. The Bible said, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all, everybody say all, and all that believed were together. And had all things common. What a powerful statement. Some even went on, sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Suddenly, earthly things had lost their value because of what had been put into their life. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness. Everybody say gladness. Gladness and singleness of heart or purpose. Favor with all. And I love this part. Having favor with all the people. Amen. I'm of a mind to think that when the when when the real spirit of revival comes into our life, it's going to make us a little bit more likable. Amen. Somebody said hallelujah. Amen. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Let's reach our hands out. Let's pray right now in the name of Jesus. 
We are not here, Lord, for ourselves, but we're here for your purpose. We're not here to build a kingdom for ourselves, but we're here, Lord, to do your will and build your kingdom. We're asking you, God, today, whatever it takes, move every obstacle, whatever there might be that would prevent, Lord, take it out of the way. Remove whatever that question might be and give us favor, I pray. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Would you say it with me? The world at its worst needs a church at its best. Say it one more time. The world at its worst needs a church at its best. Everybody said, Amen. You, you may be seated. I think all of us are aware tonight that we live in a world that is increasingly uh, ignorant to the things of God. As a matter of fact, it is a sad reality that many do not know much, if anything, about Jesus, His power, They do not know anything about the gospel, the good news that we are so in love with tonight. Some may feel that this couldn't be a worse environment or a worse setting to talk about revival. And yet, when I read the New Testament, I find a very interesting fact that stands out to me, and that is that their times were really no different than our times because they really didn't know Jesus either. But that didn't stop revival from coming because somebody got to know him and somebody allowed him to move and work in their lives. So as we study the book of Acts, I pray that it will hopefully serve as a roadmap to help us to reconnect and to recommit ourselves to the things that produce revival and the miraculous and the sovereign works of God. Somehow it would work as a means of refocusing our attention on the things that really matter and get us back in sync with the things that make for life-changing, soul-stirring, world-changing revival. I want to see that. It's not just a cute little catchphrase, but I am hungry for revival that literally turns our community upside down. But this is what I do know. Before it turns our... Amen. It's going to have to turn us upside down. Amen. Our quest is simple, but it's challenging. And I say that because every time I go back and read the book of Acts, I realize again how hard it is to encapsulate in thought what all came almost naturally as the Holy Ghost was operating in their midst and the Spirit of God was leading and directing them. But it has helped me to rediscover things that contributed to the great revival that swept the world after Pentecost and to see 
the church and what it looked like at its finest hour. And uh, perhaps tonight, if we could somehow recapture that image and vision in our spirit, it would cause us to begin to pursue more earnestly those things that bring those things about. I, I, there are three things that the Lord spoke to me today, and I wrote them down, and I want you to write them down either in your Bible or in your mind. But when the church is filled and when it is fresh, when it is favored, you cannot stop revival. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. There was a fresh anointing. The word fresh means new. They had been renewed by the power of the Holy. They had been made new creatures in Christ Jesus. And the Bible said they were favored. And when we have those three things, you cannot stop a move of God. Amen. Say it with me. Filled. Come on, everybody. Filled. Fresh. Favored. Amen. The book of Acts tells us how they lived out on a daily basis the instructions of Jesus to be witnesses to the utmost part of the world. It started in Jerusalem, but by no means was it to stay in Jerusalem. And soon, because of their ardor and their fervor and their spirit, it was spreading around the world. And so the questions that we ponder, and I'm going to keep bringing them back to you because I want them to get etched in your mind. I, I want them to be so uh, in, in, ingrained in your psyche that whenever you pick up the, the word and you begin reading the book of Acts, these questions start coming back to your mind. What what allowed this world-shaking revival to happen? What made them so effective in doing what they did? What made them so powerful? What enabled them to withstand opposition and persecution and hatred and many of the other things that happened to them in this revival that swept the world, but it did not prevent the revival from coming? It simply spread the fire a little further. When I read that and when I see that and when I say that, I am reminded of something that Brother Tenney told years ago when he was the foreign missions director. Revival had come to Poland, which was heavily under the influence of communism. And and when revival broke out in one community and people started receiving the Holy Ghost and revelation of Jesus' name and baptism, uh, the, the authorities heard about it and they sent an army in. They sent uh, soldiers into that area to squash that and put it out. And as soon as the soldiers got inside the city and started persecuting and trying to put down and, and supplant what had erupted there, he said it broke out in the nearest community. And so they ran there and they tried to put it down there and it as soon as they got there, it broke out in another community. What what the Holy Ghost is trying to say to us is that man can try, but he cannot stop. What I am going to do when my people get in alignment with my will and with my purpose and with my plan, you cannot stop what I want to do. Amen. So we've looked at several things. 
We've looked at prayer, unity, being filled with the Holy Ghost, operating in the Holy Ghost, being true witnesses, having a hunger for more, and a message that reaches the heart of people. Tonight, let's go a little further. One of the things in this kind of came upon me, blindsided me really, because I'd been thinking in another, in another realm, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that when the church is at its best, it is passionate and excited about the purpose of God, the will of God, and the plans of God. It is passionate. Jesus had spent three and a half years trying to open their eyes to the kingdom of God. And there were questions about whether they were getting it or not until after the resurrection. And then the light came on and they realized. And it settled in their heart what their purpose was. And Mark summarized the ensuing details by saying, And they went forth and preached every. Where Luke closed the gospel of his writing by saying, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. John said, when he was speaking of him who was to come, he said, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. The Holy Ghost and fire. And when Luke begins to write the book of Acts, The Bible said, and they returned unto Jerusalem, and they went up into an upper room, and there abode, they stayed, they settled. They were not trying to find the next greatest thing to run to, but they were waiting for the Lord. And Acts 2 said they continued, and Acts 2 says they were steadfastly continuing, and Acts 8 and 4 is further indicative of what I mean when I say they were passionate about what they had received. And it says, therefore they went, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. There was something ignited on the day of Pentecost. There was a fire that was set ablaze in their heart that so excited them and thrilled them, and energized them, and empowered them, and animated their actions and behavior that they could not keep it to themselves. I think the greatest fear I have for all of us is some of us have had the Holy Ghost too long. Because we've forgotten what it was like when we first... Does anybody remember when you received the Holy Ghost? Am I the only wild and crazy one in the bunch? But when I received the Holy Ghost, there was something that ignited in my spirit. I didn't know somebody about what had happened. Too shy to tell too many people. But I wanted to tell somebody about what had happened in my life. Now it's just old hat. We've been around it so long. People start talking about the Holy Ghost. We yawn. We check our text messages. We're ready to go on to the next point. But somehow, something's got to be revived in us that gets us excited again about living for God and about the power of the Holy Ghost and what God has invested in His church and in His body. And when we get ignited to that, they were set on fire by the Holy Ghost. I pray that that Holy Ghost fire would set on us. 
I don't care how hot it gets this summer. I want it to be hotter in here than it is out there because something supernatural is happening in this place. And we have gotten such a hunger for those things that we cannot live without it. They were consumed by it. They were sold out to it. I love Acts 2 says that they all, 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 everybody, they gave their all. We sang about that a while ago, all. I give you my all. That's that's something that some of us say, but we don't really mean because we hold back a portion. We keep some for ourselves. That's what got Ananias and Sapphira in trouble. They came acting like they were giving all, but they were holding a portion for themselves. And Peter said, why have you lied to the Holy Ghost? It was yours to begin with. You don't have to put on a show and act like you're giving all because God knows what all of us are doing. Amen. Amen. Engulfed by his fire. Sold out. Everybody say sold out. They were reflective of this sold out spirit in their sacrificial attitude and spirit. Though it was not required of them by the Lord. They were willing in the spirit of concern for other people's needs to forget about their own possessions and share those with those around them that were in need. When you get into the true spirit of revival, I will tell you one thing it will do. It will cause you to reevaluate what's important and reevaluate what is of value and all of the money and the gold and Knox Fort Knox or wherever else they might keep it doesn't even compare to one touch of the hand of the almighty God. I've never had a dollar heal me. I've never had a dollar bail me out of trouble. I've never had a dollar comfort me. I've never had a dollar come and speak to me, but I have had the lowly one come to my aid and speak into my heart and put his spirit in me and revive me and put me back on my feet and help me get going. Amen. I believe when when the real spirit of Acts gets a hold of us, we will become less concerned about what we have as to what we can do for the kingdom. And everybody will find something to do. Fervent, ardent, zealous. Some people call it fanatical. Amen. I'm just a fan that's gone over the edge. Oh, hallelujah. Some of you need to smile right now. I'm not sure where you're at, but some of you need to. You got the Holy Ghost in you, just smile because you have the Holy Ghost in you right now. Amen, amen, amen. I wonder what kind of revival would break out in here if that kind of passionate, ardent, zealous, hungry, committed spirit began to take hold of us. Amen. I know you got to work a job, but what would happen if it more important than my job was whether or not God was going to be in, in, in working in our midst? You got to work. Everybody, I mean, that, that, I'm not saying, I'm not preaching against working, and I'm certainly not advocating everybody selling everything they have and, and, and giving it, and let's just try to live like people that uh, don't know any better. But that's not what the Spirit indicated. In the early church, it wasn't just not thinking about the future. 
But there was such a passionate desire to spread what they had found and come to know that those material things mattered little compared to the spiritual things that God had invested in them. And we need to make sure that we keep that same differentiation. God's not against me having material goods, but when my material goods become more important to me than my spiritual well-being, I'm in in trouble with God and I'm in trouble with His will. Somehow we got to get this back in balance. We do work. We do have to labor. We do have a job. But when it's all said and done, that's all going to dissolve. It's all going to melt with a fervent heat. The house that we die to get and the car that we die to drive is all going to be burned up. And the only thing that's going to stand is that word and his purpose and his kingdom. Amen. Somebody said amen. And so when a church is at its best, it's passionate, it's excited about the purpose of God, the will of God, the plans of God. And I want that to happen around here. I'm hungry for that. Amen. Somebody say amen. Number two, when the church is at its best, it is always intentional in its efforts. When the church was born, there was an intentional effort to fulfill the mandate that Jesus left them with Matthew 28, 19. To proclaim the gospel to every creature. It was deliberate. It was thoughtful. It was not haphazard. It was not, well, if it happens, it happens. But there was a divine purpose that drove them and motivated them. It spawned for them a world vision or a larger vision than just their own little world. And that's why the Bible said they went everywhere. Everybody say that with me. They went everywhere, 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 everywhere you looked up. There was one of those tongue-talking, apostolic, Pentecostal, Holy Ghost-filled people. Every time you turned around, it didn't matter where you went. There, there was one of those people that were after that way called heresy. Amen. Amen. Revival, when it comes to a church, they become more intentional. Revival is not an accidental thing. It's a purposeful thing. It's an outgrowth of passionate desire to fulfill the word of God that he has given to us. And that he has expounded to us over and over again. They did it together. They did it by themselves. They did it with at the, 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 the dining table. <laughs> they did it in the marketplace. They, they broke bread in people's homes in fellowship and they preached the gospel and they shared the good news of what Jesus Christ had done. And they, they do, they used every means. Paul said it. He said, I do everything. I use all means that I might by some way save some. Any and every two, they were intentional. Say that with message out. Seemed to be what they were into. They were intentional. Say that with me. Intentional. Amen. Intentional. That's why we go to the extent we do of praying. Because we want to be intentional. That's why we go to the extent of organizing some skeleton of a service schedule so we can be intentional. We're not coming in here and just saying, okay, God, it's your time. This is your hour. Amen. 
We're, we're purposeful in our worship. We're purposeful in our efforts. We're here because th- this matters to God. What we're doing matters to Him. And when the church is intentional, when they're not just, well, I hope it falls. I hope the Holy Ghost moves tonight. No, when you walk in here with the knowledge, He's gonna move because you've talked to Him. You've been with Him this week. You, you, you've had some conversations and He's already confirmed, I'm gonna do something when you get together with your, with, with my body. I, I'm gonna move when you get together. When two or three are gathered in my name, when, when they're in agreement, when they're in one place with one accord, suddenly something happens. Suddenly a sound from another world. God, help us have that. Give us that tonight. Amen. Give us that, that intentionality in everything that we do. Not just, you know, church becomes habitual to a lot of people. It, it's just something they do. It's like being a Democrat or a Republican or, 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 or being whatever else. They, they just do it out of habit and rote. There's no real feeling. There's no real spirit. They, it's just what they've always done. They, they, they don't, they don't think about the fact that God is not just interested in me going through a formality. God is interested in a relationship with me. He's interested in me communing with Him. He's interested in me talking with Him and He talking with me. And so when He brings us together in a body, the body is there to minister. The body is there for a divine purpose. And sometimes we forget that. Well, I'm glad tonight that you're as passionate as I am. Amen. Maybe I should have pre-warned you what tonight was going to be like. Say passionate, intentional. Passionate, intentional. Amen. When you have services that are like that, you can't stop a move of God. You cannot withhold what God's going to pour out. Amen. I'm going to close with this one. And I'm going to probably knock some of you off your feet. So just go ahead and get ready. The church is at its best when it values the things that matter to God. It is at its best when it values the things That matter to God. Number one, let me tell you what matters to God. His kingdom matters to Him. His kingdom matters to Him. And this is what the Holy Ghost spoke to me. The church is at its best when my Lordship is more important than your leadership. think I can't move without you singing that part? You think I can't move without you preaching that sermon? You think God said, you got another thing. Church can't survive without me? God said, you got another thing coming. I'm not any, I'm, I'm not coming to pour my spirit out on a church that doesn't understand the importance of my kingdom. I'm not saying that about you or me, either one. I'm just saying that in the kingdom of God, that's what matters most to him is his kingdom. Thy kingdom come. That's what he taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. 
in earth as it is in heaven. Amen. The church is at its best when his lordship is more important than its leadership. Now, I want you to think about that before you choke on it. Some people think, well, you can't have a great church without a certain leader. You can have a great church and have a mediocre leader as far as leadership is concerned if he's full of the Holy Ghost. He doesn't have to be a great preacher. He doesn't have to be a great orator. He doesn't have to have great thoughts as long as he's got the Holy Ghost and he's he, he knows how to connect with that, what God is up to. But when the when when the church is at its best, they were not concerned about who was up front, who got the credit, who was going to get the praise. I thought this was interesting when I started looking at it. I hadn't considered it until today. Simon Peter opened the door with the message to the multitude in Acts chapter 2. He went on in Acts 10 or so to open the door to Cornelius and the Gentiles. But somewhere in this time frame, there was a transition that began to take place. And Simon Peter, who had been the great spokesman on the day of Pentecost, began to move back and another one named James moved to the forefront and he became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And then it wasn't long after that until another one came along and he eclipsed either one of them. His name was Paul. But you never find anywhere in Scripture where they ever contended over who was going to get the praise or who was going to get the glory. You don't read anywhere in the New Testament church where they argued about whose point that was or whose place that was or who gets that spotlight or who gets this city or who gets that town. They were too into the lordship of Jesus Christ. They were too into letting him be exalted. Forget about my kingdom. Forget about what I think. Forget about who I am. And let's put him back on the throne he and when we put him back on the throne, it won't matter who's behind this pulpit as long as he's delivering the word of God, as long as he's preaching the truth of that word. It won't matter who is in charge. Hallelujah. No evidence of contention. There was no war among them of who would be preeminent. And you're talking about three very strong personalities. Peter, James, and John were very strong personalities. They, they, they were known, some of them were known, two of them were known as the sons of thunder. Now you tell me where they got that name from. And you know what Simon Peter was. He was just an old fisherman saved by grace. Sometimes I'm intimidated by the fact that I don't have a doctorate. I was reading something today and, and, and this guy was listing his pedigree and I thought, goodness, I need to turn my license in. I need to go do something else. I'm not saying that to brag or I'm not saying that to magnify my ignorance. But what I have discovered is God can use my ignorance if I'm in tune with Him and I'm talking to Him. He can use my weakness. To show himself strong. And how many times do we disqualify ourselves because we think, well, I'm not qualified to do that. Get get this, church. None of us are qualified to do that. 
Nobody deserves the grace of God. Nobody deserves the love of God. Nobody deserves. But that's not what God's looking for. God's looking for somebody that understands his kingdom is more important than my kingdom. It's more important than my agenda. It's more important than my plans. It's more important than what I think. It's more important than my personality. It's more important than my ego being stroked. Amen. When lordship is more important than leadership, it matter whether it was Peter up preaching or James leading or Paul. They followed. The church grew. It multiplied because they were more interested in building his kingdom than they were their own. I wish I could tell some folks that tonight. It would help bring down a lot of division among us. When we don't care who gets the credit or who gets the position or who has the praise, who gets the glory as long as he is glorified. Amen. I'm going to tell you something, church. Brother Landon Long preached here Sunday night. Don't ever discount the youth of a young man. And you you know what? We may not be as polished as a lot of other folks may be. And I understand that. And I am intimidated by that all the time. But you know what? I've gotten to the place where I'm old enough. I'm overcoming that. And you're just going to have to accept me for what I am. I'm never going to be Apollos. I'm not. I'm just not going to be that. I have too much. I don't know something else in me that comes out every once in a while. I want to be better. But you know what? It really doesn't matter how eloquent or smooth we are. If it's more about us than him, he is not going to get the glory and he's not going to give the glory. And I'm going to tell you tonight, I'm more interested in him giving us glory than us getting the glory. Amen. Somebody say in Jesus' name. Let his lordship, let his kingdom, that's what's important to him. And when the church gets back to valuing that as it ought to, revival will come. Number two, they value doctrine because doctrine matters. The Bible said they continued steadfastly, unswerving, diligently, In the apostles' doctrine, they devoted themselves. One translation said, they devoted themselves to their teaching, continually, faithfully devoting themselves to the instructions of the apostle. They were persistent. They were hungry. They were diligent because it mattered. There is a modern mantra that goes around something like this. It doesn't matter what you believe just as long as you believe. That, my friend, is a lie from the pit of hell. Contrary to what many people in our culture say about doctrine, that doctrine divides. Doctrine does not divide. Doctrine defines. It defines who we are. It defines whose we are. It defines where we are. Doctrine defines what we believe and why we are here in the first place. So what did they teach? Amen. I believe it is evident from what Peter preached to the multitude in Acts 2.38 that it was in response 
to their question of what must we do, but it was really in response to the command that Jesus had given them, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Mark recorded it, Matthew 16, 14 through 18, and Luke wrote about it in Luke 24, 45 through 49. They were fulfilling the great commission of preaching the gospel to the whole world. They were anointed. Mark said, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. And all of the glorious manifestation of the Spirit of God. Doctrine was important to the early church. They preached repentance, not diversion. Amen. You know what repentance is? That means a complete turnaround and a complete change of mind and a complete change in the way we think. Amen. Repentance. They preached repentance and remission of sin. Seeking forgiveness for our failures and turning from those sins. The world we live in today tells people that all they have to do is believe and they're saved. And they never turn one iota away from the life that they've been living. They still live the same way. They still act the same way. I'm here to tell you that the New Testament church, the church in the book of Acts, believe that there are things that matter to God. And one of the things is what you believe about God. And what I believe about God. And they preach repentance. They preach baptism. Everybody say baptism. That word means to immerse, not sprinkle. It means to submerge or overwhelm, to wash and to make clean. And they did it in one name. You know it and I know it, but the world needs to know it. Father is not a name. Son is not a name. Holy Ghost is not a name. It's only a title or a position. The only name that was used in the New Testament was Jesus or Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus Christ. They made that the preeminent part of what? They taught. And we need to make it that way too. Amen. And so, you know, I think the follow-up to this might be, I need to do a series on doctrine, what we believe and why we believe it. And as much as sometimes I think we ought to know that, I'm afraid some of us don't know that. Or some people, I should say, don't know that. They preach the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You can't preach something you haven't experienced. And you can't lead somebody else into something that you haven't done already yourself. You can't lead somebody somewhere you haven't already gone. They were full of the Holy Ghost and they preached the Holy Ghost. Evidence by speaking with other tongues. You can go through the book of Acts and you can see it being poured out and the demonstration that came with it and the tongues that gave them evidence. That That's what Paul said or Peter said when Cornelius' household heard them speak in tongues like we. That's how we knew they had received it. And it's no different now. Amen. Acts 19 when Paul came to those disciples, want to know what, what, how have you been baptized? Under John's baptism. And he taught them, that's not, that's not the fullness of revelation. You need to take another step. You need to be baptized. And they were baptized and received the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues. 
One translation, and I can't remember where it is, but one translation of Acts 8, where Philip went to the Ethiopian eunuch, one of the oldest translations of the New Testament, and I, I wish I could remember, but I just came to my mind. One of the oldest translations of the New Testament said that when Philip went down into the water and brought that Ethiopian eunuch out of the water, the old, that, that original says that he was filled with the Holy Ghost and spake with tongues. Now I know that's been eliminated. And maybe it wasn't supposed to, I don't know. I just know that every other time the Holy Ghost was evident, there was an evidence that came with it when people received it initially and they received it for the first time. There was a, there was a verbal outpouring of praise came from them that was in another language. I'm thankful tonight that you're in a church that still believes in talking in other tongues. It's not an added blessing. It is part of the package of salvation. It's part of the death, burial, resurrection of our Lord. That's the gospel that Paul said I preached. 1 Corinthians 15. Amen. I'm thankful that I know about the name, but I'm also thankful to be full of the Holy Ghost tonight. Amen. Somebody say Holy Ghost. They preached Christ and Him crucified. That was their message, and that message was transformative. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Amen. Church, I am hungry. I don't know if I'm showing it tonight. Maybe I'm not doing a good job of making it evident, but I am hungry. Because I want Greater Life Church to be a church that multiplies like the New Testament church. I want us to be a church that is vibrant and powerful and anointed and effective. Amen. I want it to be said of us and the Lord added to the church daily. Amen. I want it to be said of us and believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes. 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 Amen. In one, one portion of Acts, the Lord spoke to his people and said, don't worry about this city. He said, I have much people in this city. I wonder how many times that's been spoken over our community. We just not seen it yet. I have much people in this community. You just need to wake up and be who you're called to be. Be a New Testament church full of the Holy Ghost. Let the priorities be, uh, uh, my priorities be your priorities. Let my purpose be your purpose. We want to see the Word of God spread and spread like a fire in this place. And it will happen, church, if we get back in this book and start praying, God, whatever it was, help us, help me to get this when I go through the book of Acts, I lay, I'm a far piece from it right now, but help God give me this. Help me. I know I'm, I'm a far piece from it right now, but help me. I'm moving that direction because I want a revival that will truly turn our community upside down. I want it to turn us upside down. Amen. I want it to turn me inside out. I wanted to put me back on track with the things that really mattered, the priorities that I need in the end time. Amen. Would you stand with me?